That concludes our worship service. <laughs> Just go, th- go, th- go think about that. I, I, I mean, I can't say it any, any better. Um, but that's why we're here. Is we're here to try to understand what those words really mean to us today in our lives right now. And uh, I'm grateful to, to serve here, this church, grateful to, to be able to be in this role, uh, to, to study these passages and to, to come on Sunday mornings and to, to just really share in them together. And uh, in Atlanta, as it is in heaven, has been our, our theme. We're, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to take our time and let it seep in. And, um, you know, a couple weeks ago, it was great. Kendall started out, us out with the Beatitudes, uh, that, that what we just saw. And, and he really focused in on the poor in spirit and the, those who mourn and those who are meek. And last week, Jordan talked about those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And he talked about the merciful and the pure in heart. And, um, and today, we are going to continue and kind of conclude the Beatitudes. And we're going to talk today uh, about peacemakers and those who are persecuted. <clears throat> but you know, the Sermon on the Mount, interestingly, uh, obviously we're, we're 2,000 years in. A lot of people have made a lot of studies on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, over the years, there have been some interesting approaches to the Sermon on the Mount. Some that we're still wrestling with today. Um, I don't know if you know this, but some, some people say that the Sermon on the Mount is, is really, uh, you know, Jesus just really putting out a bunch of impossible to live by kind of things. So that you'll see just how sinful you really are and how you need God. That's how some people actually treat the Sermon on the Mount. Some people believe that actually it teaches some universal things for all people. But then there's some teachings in the Sermon on the Mount that actually are for clergy or priests. Or, so they kind of separate them for the kind of the elite Christians, the really spiritual ones, and then for everybody else. Some people truly believe these things, right? And uh, these are kind of talked about and studied and people write books about them. Martin Luther, right? He's a big time guy. It is the impossibly high demands of the sermon that are meant to make all people aware of their sin and poverty before God and thereby turn to Jesus in faith. And another big time scholar, Dale Allison, says he just refers to the Sermon on the Mount as the impossible ideal. Impossible. It's impossible to live by that. Interesting, right? So I went to one of my... Uh, the go-to scholars, and I appreciate his take on things like this. Um, and Mark Twain said, the researches of many commentators have already thrown much darkness on the subject, and it is probable that if they continue, we shall soon know nothing about it at all. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Sometimes studying this stuff, it feels that way, right? So, so many smart people putting all their thoughts on it, you don't even know what, what in the world. What, is, what does it mean anyway? Does it mean anything, right? Strip it, strip it all of meaning. Well, today I'm going to give, uh, hopefully I'm going to give you an interpretive hack to understand the Sermon on the Mount. All right? And it's, gonna, it's not from Mark Twain. I know as spiritual as he is. And as often as he's quoted, I'm sure, in sermons. 
Uh, and we're going to look at that kind of hack on how to interpret, in my opinion, one guy's opinion. But I think it, it will help you to not fall into the trap of, ah, just some, some teachings, but I don't know if I can live by them. Um, and let's pray first. Lord, we're, we're trying to be humble right now and humbly approach this moment to, to receive whatever you want us collectively to receive, individually to receive from this moment. Father, help us to surrender our, our best thinking, you know, uh, relying on our own thinking and be willing to receive your wisdom. God, help us to see what it means to be a peacemaker. Help us to understand persecution and how to handle it. And ultimately, Lord, I just pray that we take Jesus' words to heart and that we respect him as the most intelligent, wise human that ever walked this earth, not just a good person. We pray this in his name. Amen. In my opinion, uh, the interpretive hack is found in Matthew's gospel as well. And it's found in chapter 7. And I think you'll probably figure out the wisdom of it. Verse 24, if you have your own Bible. Matthew 7, beginning in verse 24. It's kind of like in a movie. Sometimes you kind of go fast forward. You start with the ending, and then you kind of go backwards. This is the end of the Sermon on the Mount in, in, in so many ways, right? But I think this helps you understand what Jesus is getting at. Verse 24, anyone who listens to my teaching and obeys me is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock, though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on rock. But anyone who hears my teaching and ignores it is foolish. It's like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and the floods came and the winds beat against that house, you know what? It'll fall with a mighty crash. And after Jesus finished speaking, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he taught as one who had real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. To me, that's the interpretive hack. Preachers don't preach so people don't do stuff. People don't write books so no one will read them. No one writes a song so no one will hear it. That doesn't make any sense. Jesus said all those things because he actually expects us to listen and actually internalize them and try to become what he's talking about. It's not an impossible ideal in my opinion. So take it seriously. And here's the deal. I said this before and I'm going to say it again and I'll probably say it again another time. If at some point in this series you are not made to feel uncomfortable by a teaching, then we, something's, something's wrong. Either something's wrong with the way we're presenting it or something's wrong with where you are. At some point, you should just be challenged to your core. At some point, you should just question, man, wow, I don't know if I really believe that. I, I don't know. I got to, woo. I hope we have those moments. There's no way to listen to all of the Sermon on the Mount and go, yep, that just describes me. I mean, that's pretty... Kind of sums me up in a nutshell right there. Come on, I mean, so I, I, I hope that we can feel some uncomfortability at some point in this whole thing. 
and, and not in a provocative way, but Jesus is, is trying to reach us with wisdom that we can't manufacture in any seminary or any college or any wherever. And so today, I think it's helpful to understand this about Jesus, is that Jesus came from, obviously, the Jewish tradition, the faith tradition of the Jews, and they believed that what it, what it meant to really flourish, what it meant to really thrive in the world, what it meant to have shalom and all these concepts was really a, to be in a covenant relationship with God and to walk in his ways. That's what the Jews kind of offered, that this one God walk in his ways. Psalm 1, read it, reflect on it. Psalm 1 is like a Sermon on the Mount vibe in the Old Testament. It's that, it's that walking in the way of wisdom. And that, that's kind of what the Jews were known for, to, to teach that covenant relation with God, and that's how you really figured out how to live the life that is a life worth living and flourishing. But in the moment Jesus is uttering the Sermon on the Mount, in his time and space, right, in that time, he was in a Greco-Roman situation. And so for centuries, you had people like Aristotle, all of these different philosophers, right? You got Epicureans, you got Stoics, you got all of these philosophers. And what are they really wanting to explain? They're trying to explain what is the true virtuous life? How can a person truly be happy? How can, you, how can you really enjoy life? And so you've got that tradition, that stream that Jesus knows people are, are thinking about. And really, I think that's what gets at the Sermon, the Sermon on the Mount is, is really getting at is how can we experience true human flourishing? What is true happiness or true blessedness, true peace? What is it? How do I get it? And how can I keep it? These were some of the questions that Jesus was really dealing with, okay? And this is where people were. And quite honestly, a lot of us are in the same place today, right? Man, what is life about and how can I live the good life? And I think it's Jesus is trying to say, well, we experience true flourishing in this life, true blessedness, true peace through a loyal Allegiance, a heart deep, not just rituals, heart deep, whole person following of Jesus and his teachings. Do you see what I'm saying? A loyal allegiance, that pure hearted, that pure in the sense of single mindedness. Allegiance, that means your loyalty, your highest loyalty to Jesus. Whole self. Deepest part of your heart, not just show up two hours on Sunday. No, that's good, but no, a whole heart, whole mind, whole everything, loyalty, allegiance, orientation towards Jesus and his teachings, that's flourishing in this life. But here's the problem. You won't experience fully the rewards of that type of life in this world. That's the rub. There's something about Jesus that he's trying, to, he's trying to explain something to us. He's saying, you don't need to take the bait of this world. Don't take the bait. It's going to promise you a lot. It's going to promise you the flourishing life. 
but it's, it's, it's a trap. Don't take the bait. And Jesus is saying, I, you got your wisdom from the philosophers, okay, the Jews, okay, I, my people, but I'm telling you, in me is the flourishing life. I'm bringing it to you. Do you see, you know, I think Jesus is looking at us and say, do you see me worried about my financial portfolio? Do you see me clamoring for political power in order to get my message across? Do, do, do you see me, oh, I don't have high people up in government. Oh, darn, I guess my plan won't succeed. <laughs> Is that what you see in me? How do you see me treat people? Do you see me distressed because I'm not getting a lot of likes on my posts? Am, am, I, am I distressed that everybody doesn't think I'm awesome all the time? Do you see that in me? When people treat me poorly, when I'm faced with injustice, and when my life is being threatened, how do I respond? So you can take your philosophies, and you can take all the wisdom that's floating around in the world, that's telling you what the real life is, how to flourish in this world. You just need to look at me. Look at how I approach this life. You approach it the way I approach it, and you will flourish. You've got to learn how to be in a situation and look beyond it. And you've got to be able to see a situation from above. And you've got to come from a place of love. That's what it means to flourish in this world. Jesus is saying, I don't need to grab the resources of this world and, and try to be greedy and hoard because there's only so many resources. I have access to the resources of my Father. They're always available to the kingdom citizen. So if you're yelling at me, you treating me a certain way, I look beyond. I know, I know where I'm really firmly rooted, and that's in God's kingdom. And I don't need to pull on resources from just this world to figure out how to deal with this situation because I'm looking beyond it, and I know that God can help me with this situation, that there are spiritual resources that I can draw upon in this moment because I look beyond this moment because I come from above, and I'm coming from a place of love, and that's how you flourish in this world, and you absolutely will suffer. And some, of, some people just get up and go. <laughs> suffering is not in my ideal, you know, so you had me until suffering, Jesus, and that's how we are. We just don't want to suffer. But I appreciate the reality and the trueness, J Jesus being real, you're going to suffer. And so if you're just taking the bait that this world is everything, then you're probably going to be upset. <laughs> that's, that's what the Sermon on the Mount just keeps beating into us. It's not just about this world. Don't take the bait. 
All right. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to close it out. The Beatitudes. Matthew 5 verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, right? Peace is a great concept in the Bible, Old Testament and New. The concept of peace is not just about kind of the cessation or the stopping of hostilities. I mean, that's obviously a part of peace. But peace also has this connotation of wholeness and well-being. Like, just well-being, you know? And, and, and a peacemaker is somebody that is willing to make that happen, you know? Or literally the word in Greek, to do peace or to make peace. Do you think this world needs people willing to fight for peace? And that's the deal. Whoa, that, that's an oxymoron, Jeff. You just said fight and peace in the same word. <laughs> Sentence. Oh, I got you, Jeff. I got you. It's contradiction. It's not a contradiction. If we're going to see the wholeness and well-being in this world and in situations, you know what? We're going to have to fight for it. <laughs> you have to fight for it. And in the Old Testament, I love these examples of people uh, I, I think sometimes it's just good to see different examples. Look at, in Ezekiel, verse 10, of chapter 13, verse 10. <clears throat> because they lead my people astray, saying, peace, when there is no peace. And because when a flimsy wall is built, they cover it with whitewash. And therefore tell those who cover it with whitewash that it's going to fall. Rain will come in torrents. Sound familiar? And I will send hailstones hurling down and violent winds will burst forth. When the wall collapses, will people not ask you, where's the whitewash you covered it with? I thought it was peace. You said everything was all right. No, you're covering stuff up with flimsy stuff. It's not going to last. Don't say peace when there is no peace. It takes courage to say peace. When there, it's, it takes courage to fight for peace. It's easy to just say Oh, everything's great. What about, what about Jeremiah? My wife has been reading Jeremiah lately. She's been fired up preaching the word to me. <laughs> the Lord knows what I need, right? But, but just Jeremiah, look at this. Jeremiah 6, 13. From the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike. Preachers too. Wow. Even the preachers. All practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say. (laughs) When there is no peace. Are they ashamed of their detestable conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They don't even know how to blush. So they will fall among the fallen. They will be brought down when I punish them. Do you see this concept of peace, guys? <laughs> what we need in this world, the deepest peace that we can get is peace between us and God. If God is the highest being, we need, to, we need to have peace with him, right? And so praise God that God is not a God of retaliation, but reconciliation. And that's who you and I are supposed to be. 
We're supposed to be reconcilers. We're supposed to walk into the gunk of somebody's life and just go, hey, I'm a fellow pilgrim. (laughs) I ain't all that. I got my problems too. But let me be real with you. There ain't no peace in your life. You're not living for God. And don't, don't, don't sit up here and tell me, well, I went to this church for this many years and I did. Don't, don't, don't tell me all the rituals. Look, I'm not here to judge you. I'm just telling you there's no peace in your life. You need to be reconciled to God. Who are you to tell me? Who are you? Wah, 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 wah. God loves you. That's who you are. You are loved by God. And I'm just trying to be a messenger, and I think that there's no peace. And I'm going to be one of the people in your life that speaks truth. As I see it, you need God. I don't want to talk, you know, and again, we got to, have, we got to look beyond situations and draw from the resources of the kingdom. Right. Ephesians chapter 2 is a great example of what a peacemaker is all about. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 11. I'm going to read the whole thing, about seven verses. Stay with me. Amen? Amen. All right. If you, if you don't have that resource on your own, ask for the Spirit to help you out right here. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders by birth. You were called the uncircumcised ones by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it only affected their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from God's people, Israel, and you did not know the promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you belong to Christ Jesus. Though you once were far away from God, now you've been brought near to him because of the blood of Christ Jesus. For Christ himself has made peace. He's made the peace between us Jews and you Gentiles by making us all one people. He's broken down the wall of hostility that used to separate us. By his death, he ended the whole system of the law that excluded the Gentiles. His purpose was to make peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself a new person from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He has brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who are far away from him and to us Jews who are near. And now all of us, both Jews and Gentiles, may come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. This is what a peacemaker, what did, it cost Jesus something. <laughs> it's, it's costly to be a peacemaker. <laughs> it's costly to go between folks and tr- that are even arguing in your own family <laughs> to try to be a peacemaker, not be in it for yourself, not be all upset because they're making it too loud so you can't watch what you binge watching. No, <laughs> because you see two people made in God's image. And there's no peace right there. So you're even willing to to try to get in between people to help out, even if it costs you something, even if they turn on you. 
Because you can look beyond that moment and you can draw on resources from above and do it out of love. That's kingdom living. That's Sermon on the Mount living. That's how we do it. We follow Jesus. That's how we follow Jesus. Be a peacemaker. But you got to be willing to tell the truth as you see it. Use God's word and do it out of love. And you might lose some friends for a few minutes, but for forever. But that's what peacemakers do. And you know what the Bible says? You do that, you'll be called sons of God. And what, the, what it's really getting at is kind of like, you'll be like the spitting image of God. Like when people see you do stuff like that, that's God. And you look just, you look, that's what God does. That's how God is. It kind of has that connotation to it. That's what God's people do. Where you see people doing that, there you'll find Jesus. Right? This last part is interesting because Jesus kind of doubles up. Verse 10 of Matthew 5. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now don't get it twisted, guys. It's being persecuted because of righteousness, not because of being ugly to people. Can we get that straight? Don't be ugly to people, then they get upset. Oh, you're just persecuting me. I'm just trying to be a Christian. No, you're being ugly. You're not showing the love of Jesus. You look more angry than anybody else. And don't try to play it off that you're a Christian in this righteous indignation. No, actually, you're being rude, which is actually unloving. <laughs> okay? But there's a way to actually call people out or do whatever you feel like you need to do in love. That's the way Jesus did it, out of a place of righteousness, right relationship with God. That's how you do it. You don't have to be ugly. And I appreciate these quotes, and you need to take them to heart. Some suffer for righteousness, but frankly, some Christians suffer because they are insufferable. Sadly, Christians are very often persecuted, not for their Christianity, but for lack of it. So don't get it twisted. Just because somebody might not be happy with you, it might be, you might need to check your own self. So no, we don't want to be some church that controls your life, tells you what to do, takes all your money. That, hey, that ain't the, co hey, I ain't having that in my, uh-uh, uh-uh. That's not how we're going to treat each other up in here. No. I've been there 16 years. Look at my record. Half my sermons are probably online. You can go right there. Proof is in the pudding. I'm not trying to do all that. I don't want to control your life. I don't want to do all that. I don't need your money either. I could use another car, but, you know, we can talk about that later. <laughs> so we don't want that type of culture here. We don't, want to, we don't have, want to have a culture where we treat people ugly if they're not a member of the church. But we demean them with, 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 and, and try to use the Bible, and it actually is demeaning and it's unloving. That's not what we're about. And so if people push back on that, then that, that, that's not the persecution Jesus is talking about. But when we, when we stand up for righteousness in a way that Jesus did, then we're going to get persecuted. It's going to happen. Um, this week, th literally this week, I'm, I'm in one of my classes, church history, had to do a, uh, I had to do a discussion post. Literally, I just turned it in on Friday. And it was based on persecution. The chapter 
chapter 10, persecution in the third century. So that, that was what we were reading. Did you know? I'm going to give you a little something real quick. Anybody know who Septimus Severus is? I know you don't. I didn't know. Septimus Severus, he was a Roman emperor. He decided to stop the spread of, of Christianity and Judaism. Because he had made it a law that you have to worship the sun, literally the sun, as the highest god. And any other religion can exist in the Roman Empire. As long as they all agree to, to worship the sun first, then you can do whatever you want to do. But there were two groups of people that just had problems with that. These Jewish people and these Christian people. They just refused to do that. And so the emperor said, oh, okay, I got you. So he outlawed under penalty of death all conversions to Christianity or to Judaism. Penalty of death. How, would you still share your faith? Would you still sit down with your neighbor, open up the word of God, and try to help them follow Jesus if this were the rule? This is, this is history. <laughs> so guess what happened? There were five people that were under penalty of this death, they were convicted. And two of them are known as Perpetua and Felicitas. Two women. Perpetua was a 21-year-old. She was relatively well-to-do. New convert, new convert. The person that converted her ended up turning himself in later because he's like, you know what? If y'all are going to go down, I'm going down with you. His name was Saturnus. They're in, they're in the jail Felicitas was a slave, 18 years old. She was eight months pregnant. Two days before they were sent into the arena to be killed, she had her baby. While she's, in, while she's having the baby, <clears throat> her jailers asked her how she expected to be able to face the beasts in the arena. Her answer is typical of the manner in which Martyrdom was interpreted. This was her answer. Now my sufferings are only mine. But when I face the beasts, there will be another who will live in me and will suffer for me since I shall be suffering for him. They took Perpetua and Felicitas into that arena and they let loose a wild, mad cow. The cow ran into them, knocked them, knocked uh, Perpetua unconscious. Felicitas still had milk coming from her breasts. The crowd was absolutely upset by what was happening because these two people were not acting like others were acting. When Perpetua came to, to, to she went to get Felicitas a slave. And they got together in the middle, bleeding, dying. And they gave each other the kiss of peace. And then they were executed for their faith. That is persecution. <laughs> we follow a man who was persecuted unto death. If you're going to stand up for righteousness, that, that is going to happen. But here's the deal. I'll close with this, and then I'm going to pray. Persecution is never something sought by a Christian. I mean, it's not like you're trying to go out, I want to be persecuted, right? It is the byproduct of seeking first the kingdom of God 
rather than the privileges of the world. But here's the problem. I tried to find this awesome example from my life being persecuted. And I really couldn't find a really good one. And so I'm sitting there asking myself, could it be that maybe I'm not experiencing persecution because maybe I'm not standing up for righteousness the way Jesus did? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe not. But if I have no persecution ever? Huh. Interesting. Interesting, right? I've had some, but no. Whew, nowhere near that. And I, you know, I just put that before all of us. How, how, how is that happening in our lives? <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm not telling you to go out and do something crazy and stupid. <laughs> Jeff, uh, good news sharing. <laughs> I got persecuted last week. <laughs> something to think about, maybe even in your small groups, right? But hey, blessed are the peacemakers, guys. You got to have tell people the truth. You got to have integrity. You got to be willing to stand up for God's word, even if it costs you something. But get in there and help people, especially get reconciled to God. (laughs) And don't be afraid of persecution. Great is your reward in heaven. You just have to look beyond it. Rely on resources from above and do it out of love, right? So I'm going to say a prayer. But next week, Michael Burns is in town. I don't know if my creature's coming or not, but that was a picture I found. But uh, Michael Burns is coming back. He is a great author and teacher, uh, has been here multiple times, comes a couple times a year, and uh, he'll be teaching on salt and light next week. I already teased him. I'm like, I wonder what kind of props he's going to have when he comes in. <laughs> hmm. But you don't want to miss it, so come in next week. Come to hear Michael Burns. I'm going to close out in a word of prayer because there's a thing to pray about, and I apologize. I went long, and I'm just a sinner. <clears throat> Lord, just want to come to you and pray that we can become peacemakers. And Lord, I, I pray specifically right now, honestly, what happened out in Memphis, just so heartbreaking. Um, you know, peace officers in that situation, and it's just, it's, but it's not, the, it's the evil behind it. This world is just booby-trapped. It's just, it, it, ugh. It's heartbreaking, the, the sin in this world, the evil in this world that is perpetuated by people that are loved by you, God, first and foremost, but have lost their way. I pray that we can speak peace. And Father, help us not to fall prey to not believing in your plan. God, you don't need politicians to pass laws for you to change the world. You just need us to have faith. If Jesus could choose knuckle-headed, hot-headed fishermen and greedy tax collectors with no building and no political clout, if he could change the world, why, why, do we, why do we not believe it? Why do we think it's unrealistic to be a peacemaker in this world? Or it won't work in the real world. God, help us to see the real world is the world where your will is done here as it is in heaven. And help us to be people that believe. And help us to believe that if we stand up for righteousness, even if we get persecuted for it, that that is part of the plan that helps people to even see who Jesus is. And they might make a decision to get reconciled with you if we just follow the teachings, build on the rock, and have faith. God help us, because this world is going crazy. 
Please help the folks out in the Ukraine. Oh my gosh, bombs dropping. Help what's going on out in Haiti. The government's, it's crazy. People are, gangs are running the country. Every Sunday we could pray about all over the world things that are going on. But we trust that one day you're going to make all of this right. But we have the ability to make right things right in our own situations if we just trust that Jesus knew what he was talking about. And we can help bring your kingdom as it is in heaven right here to Atlanta. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.